Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. This is Rob Howe, and I'm happy to be joined by one of our sponsors, and we, we appreciate his sponsorship. We have Mike Humple. Many, many of you will remember him from his playing days at Iowa in the NFL. And Mike, thanks for joining us today. I think it's important for people to understand what you do. Can you tell us kind of what chiro, you know, the chiropractic field entails the best you can in a short amount of time? Yeah, real quickly, Rob, you know, and happy to support um, your prep sports and, and uh, your podcast. But on the basic principles, chiropractic, by definition, it comes from Greek terms, chiro meaning uh, hand, practic, from the word, Greek word practicos, which is practice. So it's the healthcare practice using your hands. So it's manual hands-on therapies and treatments. Most common treatment is the adjustment. Sometimes people reference it, oh, you get cracked or popped when you go to the chiropractor. Uh, that's, that's a manipulation where we're moving the bones in your spine, the joints around in your body to increase range of motion, decrease pain, um, and, and improve your overall function. So that, by definition, that's what chiropractic is. It's not just the adjustment, uh, but that's the main treatment. And there are also other therapies that we can use as chiropractors to, um, you know, treat people's pain, neck pain, back pain, headaches, that type of thing. Awesome. If that sounds like something that uh, you would like to check out, check out Mike at Humple Chiro or HumpleChiropractic.com. The phone number there in North Liberty is 319-325-3558. And the address for Mike's business is 1295 Jordan Street, number 6B, North Liberty, Iowa, 52317. And this is the backer to cracker tip of the week. And we'll be back with these each week. Uh, and we hope you enjoy them. Welcome to the Hawkeye Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe. And we are recording this on Wednesday, November the 4th at about 12.45 p.m. Central Time. Had availability with the Iowa players this morning, uh, a day after, uh, a day later than we normally do. Uh, we normally get them on Tuesday along with Coach Kirk Ferentz, but with the election day, they were given the day off from football activities by the NCAA, so we got them today. Um, it was Tyler Linderbaum, I believe, um, Zach Van Valkenburg, Dane Belton, Tory Taylor, who was, was a, it was a ball talking to him, uh, the Australian punter, and then we wrapped things up with Tyler Goodson. Um, but uh, I'm going to get to your questions today, 
And we will start with questions from the Hawk Fanatic message board. This is the first time we've tried this over there. The message boards just popped up at hawkfanatic.com on Friday. So this is the first mailbag podcast that we've recorded uh, utilizing that message board for your questions. And we'll continue to do that going forward. If you haven't checked those boards out, please do. Myself, Pat Hardy, and Tyler Devine are on there as moderators. We'll answer your questions, spark discussion. Uh, just another Hawkeye athletic, Hawkeye sport uh, community to, to talk sports talk hawkeye sports so come on over and join us if you will uh also want to thank our sponsors today edward jones and humple chiropractic and we have some more sponsors that will be coming on soon so uh if you're interested in sponsoring us sponsoring the podcast getting your ad on uh hawk fanatic or your prep sports uh you can go to hawk fanatic and on the front page there is a area to uh, a, a link at the, at the top of the toolbar to, if you click on that, it will take you to a page uh, where we can, uh, where you can reach out to us about advertising. And uh, we have reasonable rates and would love to have uh, as many of you on board as we can. The more, the merrier. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but there's just a mass of black birds in my backyard. I'm recording this on my sun porch. Uh, sunroom, three season porch. I don't know what the hell you call it, but um, they're just going nuts outside right now. Hopefully that's not coming through too loudly on this podcast. If it is, I apologize. Uh, let's start, like I said, on the Hawk Fanatic message board and the questions. We have a question from Gigi Allen. And uh, those who listen to KCJJ and Pat Hardy's podcast radio show on there will know who gg allen is if you don't know who gg allen is and that's letter g letter g a l l i n you can google at your own risk uh but gg allen asks how many iowa football players do you think will transfer this season there have been three so far uh calvin lockett was the latest wide receiver out of tampa florida he plays at Marcus Pascal's high school in Tampa. He uh, entered the transfer portal yesterday, Tuesday, November the 3rd. And then previously we had running back Shadrick Bird from Alabama enter the transfer portal after making a, uh, a nice special teams tackle at Purdue in week one. He decided not to make it to week two. And then we had, who was the other one? Oh, um, Yahweh Judy, a linebacker out of South Florida, also uh, on the same day as Shadrick Bird announced last week that he was going into the transfer portal, Yahweh Judy did the same. Kirk Ferentz was asked about this during his Tuesday press conference. He chalked it up to, he was very complimentary of all three guys, wished that they would have stayed in the program, thought they had good futures, but they, uh, he chalked it up to them living far from home and not seeing a pathway to the field, not being on the two deep. So that was his reasoning. I've reached out to all three and haven't really, uh, not haven't really, I have not received a response uh, outside of Yahweh Judy thanking me for wishing him luck wherever he ends up. And I did that with all those guys and then just asked if they wouldn't mind sharing with me the reason why they're leaving Iowa and they did not respond to that question. So I do not know, and I will not speculate on that. But 
to answer your question, Gigi, I will go, I will put the over under of players transferring, and you said this season, so that's going to go through at least December for the ninth game, and then a potential bowl game after that, so into January, around the, you know, around the first of the year, so we're looking at another two months here. I will put the over-under at three. I will say three more Hawkeyes leave the nest before the end of this season. If Iowa's football season ends early due to COVID, how might that impact the basketball season? Uh, I think these are separate entities, Gigi, two different sports, um, much bigger, much, much uh, larger roster size in, foot, in football. It's about 120. Basketball, it's 15-ish. A uh, lot fewer support staff members. Uh, coaching staff, all that stuff, a lot lower numbers. I think it's easier to uh, bubble those teams. Um, basketball will benefit from, I believe it's the, once the Thanksgiving break starts at Iowa, all classes go online, which means that the basketball team can basically isolate into their own bubble and will play uh, you know, for practice. And then obviously they'll play games and there's always a chance to contract the virus that way. But I, I'm pretty positive about basketball. I think there's a really good chance that uh, they get through the full basketball season. I don't know about really good, but a solid chance, I think. There are going to be hiccups and bumps and, uh, you know, cancellations slash postponements along the way, but I feel good about this basketball season. They've learned a lot. They have, uh, they have Gavitt, who is, uh, you know, kind of the head of, they have a, a, for, you know, a commissioner like figure for lack of a better term that football doesn't have overseeing all of the conferences. So feel good about that. And uh, let's hope the Iowa football season, they get through without any, having to end the season for COVID, but we'll see what happens. Uh, which team do you think will be the toughest to go up against for Iowa basketball this, this season and why? I would probably boil that down to, and there are going to be a lot of tough games in the Big Ten this year, but uh, I will say that the Illinois game will be the toughest just from a matchup, matchup perspective with Kofi Cockburn and uh, – Coburn, excuse me. Kofi Coburn and uh, – and Luca Garza going at uh, uh, going at it, and you've got you know Wieskamp and and Io DeSumo and just a lot of lot of talent on the floor when those two teams meet. Those are my two favorites in the Big Ten this season. But cannot count out Michigan State. Cannot count out Wisconsin, who won the division or won the conference last year, and has just about everybody back. So it should be rough. And Tom Lifsaw, I'm going to go Illinois out of the Big Ten as the toughest to go up against. And then Gonzaga, uh, another top eight-ish team like Iowa and Illinois. Uh, that will be a non-conference game in December. And I think those will be the two toughest games. And if Iowa, you know, can find a way to beat Gonzaga and then get into Big Ten play and have a strong season, that all builds up to getting a high seed. And those high seeds get a, a huge benefit, especially this year. We don't know how this big, you know, how the Big Ten and NCAA tournaments are going to look. I think it could benefit the highest seeds even more. Thank you for those questions, Gigi Allen, on the hawkfanatic.com message board. And now we will move on. I'm going to hit this one on um, my Rob Howe 
Iowa Hawkeye coverage Facebook page. And you can find me at facebook.com, Rob Howe Hawkeye coverage. And I asked for questions on there for the first time. Did not do that last week. And we got one. And that's from Joseph Reichwin. And he asked, and, and I've gotten other questions like this. So I will mention the folks that also asked this question and maybe in a different form, but basically why does Iowa suck this year? And he's talking about football. And I appreciate that question, Joseph, on the Facebook page. And I'm going to flip over to Twitter because we've had um, some questions about that as well. I'm trying to find um, trying to find the other versions of that question. Let's see here. Uh, that's a question of we're on iTunes yet, and we are. Uh, let's see here. I, and, and I will add this to Joe's question, Joseph's question, because uh, try to group these together. Let's see here. Hawk in ATX says housing is human, right? And that's Hawk in ATX on Twitter. Is it true that Iowa football just isn't good this year? Is it possible that Iowa just isn't good at football this year? And I please, I appreciate you, uh, Hawk and ATX, going back and using the hashtag after you, you asked the first question. So basically, Joseph and Hawk and ATX have the same question. I don't think Iowa sucks this year. I don't think Iowa's a bad football team this year. They've lost two games. Excuse me. It has lost two games by a total of five points, five turnovers, ten penalties in that first game. I'm not sure this is totally unexpected when you look at a program that's developmental and it's not the only one in the country that's developmental, but it is one of the, the teams that is de developmental. And those non-conference games are really important to work out the kinks. And we saw in the first two weeks this year against Purdue and Northwestern, Iowa working out the kinks in Big Ten play. There certainly are some red flags and, and things to um, – worry about or concern yourself about uh, with, I should say. Um, Iowa's running game is still not consistent. Uh, the, the passing game has kind of been hit and miss. There have been breakdowns on defense. All of those things that you hope and you've seen Iowa work through in the past, we'll see if they're able to do that again. And, you know, it's not a given but until I get a few more games in and have more of a sample size, I'm not ready to say that this, this season is a bad season or this is a bad team. I think with six more games left, we've only played a quarter of the scheduled games, and then there's a ninth, ninth game on top of that. Now, if Iowa loses this week to Michigan State, and that's no knock on Michigan State, who was able to go in and knock off rival Michigan last week at the big house with nobody in it. Um, certainly not an easier, you know, certainly not, I would say, you know, you, you don't look at this game as being as easy as you would have, or as, you know, give Iowa a better chance to win it as you would have after Michigan state turned the ball over seven times in week one and lost to Rutgers at home. Uh, the Spartans look like a much more formidable opponent right now. So let's see what happens this week. Then you've got Minnesota on the road and then Penn State on the road. I think we'll really have a good 
idea after those first five games. If I was sitting at, you know, one and four, then yeah, there's a chance that this is not a good football team. But we've seen Kirk Ferentz do this before. We've seen Kirk Ferentz, when the chips are down, rally his team and his teams get better as the season goes on. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, I will not say that this is a bad football team yet, though, or that this team sucks. I think it's too early to, to make that, draw those conclusions. So appreciate the question, Joseph on Facebook and Hawk and ATX on Twitter. Let's go to Robert Ludke at Bob Ludke on Twitter. Compared to other KF teams, what is the closest comparison to this 2020 version? I think from a positive standpoint, like what you hope, and Kirk referenced this on his press conference yesterday on Tuesday, November the 3rd, 2008, Iowa, I believe, was 3-0 and and then fell to 0-3 in the Big Ten, perhaps. I can't remember for sure, but lost at Illinois on a late field goal, but then responded and won out, I believe, or maybe lost another game in there. I'm, I'm not sure how that season played out, but that was a team that had quarterback issues at the beginning of the season with Jake Christensen and Ricky Stanzi, finally, finally settled on Ricky Stanzi. There were some bumps along the way as he was settling in, but by the end of the year, that was a really good football team. Now, granted, it had Sean Green, and that's just not a player that you have every season, a Doak Walker Award winner that they could rely on and just kind of pound the ball with him and, you know, rely on a, on a pretty solid defense with Mitch King and, you know, Matt Kroll anchoring the middle of that defensive line. So, so, so you know, maybe some similarities there with Davion Nixon. I think Noah Shannon's played well earlier this season. Jack Heflin. Uh, hopefully we see Austin Schulte back this week. I thought, you know, Golston made strides last week, uh, you know, with his play. So I think if you're looking at it from a positive, you're looking at 2008. You're hoping it's not a 2006, 2007, maybe 2016, 2010 where they just don't figure it out as the season goes on, and it's basically a roller coaster ride. What you're hoping for here is Iowa builds off of these early setbacks, figures out, corrects, cleans up what it's doing wrong, continues to do well what it's doing right at this point, and then builds up and gains momentum as the season goes on. And we'll see with this schedule. Uh, obviously, uh, it, we're also unsure what, um, what, what the season's going to look like uh, in terms of the virus, and you hope to get through all the games. But if we're just looking at it as normally as we can and how many games will be played, that's kind of how I'm viewing uh, this team. You know, if you're a glass half full, you're thinking 2008. So, or 2004 when Iowa, I believe, lost its first two games or started two and two. Can't remember. Got just shellacked at Arizona State, came back, lost at the big house, and then kind of righted the ship and, and ran to its last Big Ten title. I'm not sure this is a Big Ten title contender, but that's the type of season you're looking for, Robert. You're looking for a team that gets better as the season goes on. And thank you for the question. 
Alec Ahmed Johnson at Ahmed Johnson on Twitter asks, with the 0-2 start and everything the program has been through over the past year, do you see it affecting any of the 2021 commits or the 2000 or 2022 recruiting? It's a great question, Alex. Alec, excuse me. And uh, time will tell. Uh, I re- I think it could. Uh, they certainly need to start winning some games this season. A disastrous season on top of what Iowa went through during this summer, uh, when uh, outside review found the same racial bias in the program as we saw in a 2019 internal review. Those are still obstacles that Iowa is going to have to contend with on the recruiting trail. They're going to have to explain themselves. And by them, I mean the coaches, what happened, how is it getting better? What improvements have been made? How can we be sure that if we send our child to your school to your to your into your program that this will not be happening to him so they're gonna have to continue to answer those questions and then you've got a dead period because of the pandemic that started in march and runs at least through the end of december so iowa hasn't been able to to meet face to face with prospects to try to explain itself and rebuild its image so to speak it's lost one 2021 recruit And he did say it was a result of, you know, what that review from Hush Blackwell found this summer of the racial bias. And that was Jordan Oladokun from Florida, the Tampa uh, defensive back who had committed, then decommitted, then recommitted in June shortly after the, the charges of racial bias were made public by former players. And then later decommitted again and you said that that was the reason why i think the rest of the 2021 recruits are pretty solid you never say never that somebody wouldn't walk away if a better offer came along uh something else happened but i think iowa has really good relationships with the all of the members of their 2021 recruiting class i think the members of that 2021 recruiting class the verbal commits and they'll sign in December have a good relationship with each other I think that it's a a tight-knit group and I think that helps they're all guys that for the most part have been to campus and met face-to-face with the coaches before the pandemic so that is a positive and I think that will affect uh, that that help them feel comfortable with their decision but you never say never the 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 big question for me, Alec, is 2022 and moving forward past that. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Performance on the field this fall and next fall, in addition to repairing image, are going to be crucial in 22 and moving forward. Iowa has one verbal commitment in the 22 class so far, and that's Aaron Graves. Now, is that, you know, a result of the racial bias? Uh, it's hard to say. It may be, it may not be. I think you have to factor in and put into context the dead period this year and the inability for kids to visit campus, come to games. This is usually a time of year where there are recruits in this 2022 class and even 2021 and 23 and beyond would be at Kinnick Stadium this Saturday when Iowa plays host to Michigan State. That's not happening now. It's just a different 
um, environment right now. The, the landscape is different until this dead period ends. So it's hard to say that there is one outstanding factor as to why Iowa's recruiting in 2022 is a little slower right now. But in truth, Iowa gets a lot of those players in the following class that, you know, in that junior class, usually during this time of year, during the season, then into January, and when they have junior days in February and March and get kids on campus for spring, things like that. So I think it's a wait and see. I certainly think it's something to keep an eye on, Alec, and I think it's an excellent question, and I appreciate you asking it. Let's flip back here and go to some more questions here. Do, 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 do. All right. These are from last night. Christoph Trapp, former uh, Iowa Hawkeye and former Iowa City West Trojan, the Trojans playing at Pleasant Valley this week for a chance to go to the Dome. I'm sure Christian will, or Christoph, excuse me, will be locked into that. He also, also, sent in a voice version of this question to anchor or on our podcasting format. And if you, anybody wants to do that moving forward, they surely can. Uh, we accept questions, however you want to deliver them, but I will read Christos question in my Twitter comments. And he is C Tra at C trap, by the way, on Twitter, if you'd like to follow him, what has the impact been on the team playing in front of empty stands? Interesting question, and I just don't have a really good handle on this, how it's impacting teams at this point. Uh, that first week, Iowa had, you know, communication and false starts and penalties that you would expect on the road if there was a crowd, but there wasn't a crowd at Purdue, so you really couldn't blame it on the crowd. And then last week, I'm sure Northwestern was happy that they didn't, that it didn't have the fans at Kinnick Stadium breathing down its neck on the sideline. Uh, it's, it's, you know, Kinnick Stadium, if you guys have uh, any handle on the stadiums around the Big Ten, Kinnick Stadium sideline uh, ratio to the stands is very close. It's very easy for the opposing team to hear, hear uh, whatever the fans in the stands <laughs> want to say to them and Pat Fitzgerald has commented on that before but uh Iowa players have been asked this Kristoff and you kind of get that question you kind of get the answer of you know it is what it is and you have to deal with it and it's really hard for me just beyond that to to know obviously the home team loses an advantage of being home without a crowd it's it still has an advantage that it doesn't have to travel, that it's more used to its surroundings, that the player's probably a little bit more comfortable in, it, in their own locker room. You know, the opposing players have to still be in a pink locker room, but it's not the same as having 70,000 out there. The, the question that I wonder and it seemed like Iowa, it was a concerted effort from Iowa last week, the players on the sidelines to keep each other energized, something the crowd normally does inherently, particularly that tunnel walk and coming out, you know, enter Sandman back in black at the beginning of the game and the crowd explodes. That kind of, that, that gets the juices flowing for the players. That's not there. 
I mean, they still play the song, but the, you know, the crowd noise is not there. So I think that's, that's something that's been difficult and I've seen at stadiums throughout the years, Indiana, Purdue being one of them. When those teams are bad, you go into those environments. There's not much of a crowd. It's very sterile and you have to, you know, create your own energy. I think from what I can tell, it seems like Iowa is making a conscious effort to make sure it does that. And that's probably something it's going to have to continue to do moving forward. Maybe some more fans will be allowed in as the season goes on, but based on the rates of the virus going up as we speak, probably, um, probably I would not anticipate that. So hard to have a concrete answer for your question, Christoph, but, it obviously affects the energy level for both teams. And I think it neutralizes home field this year. And we're seeing that, you know, throughout college football and the NFL. So thanks for that question, my man. Good to hear from you. I always appreciate hearing from you. Uh, We will move on to Justin Meyer at Justin Meyer 23 on Twitter. Any idea when a basketball schedule may drop? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question, Justin. I would think they're just trying to, I think, finalize the pieces here on how to put it together. You've got the 20 conference games. And then if you look at Iowa, they play 27 games. So you've gotten, we've heard Iowa State, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. So that's 23. We'll see what those other four games are. But really, we just need to know what those other four games are. And then we can kind of slot in where they're going to play. Obviously, the season doesn't start until, I believe, the 24th of this month, around the last week of this month. So we're going to have to get something soon, and I would say any day now. I guess would be my answer to that without having any insight on it. I, could say, I would say any day now. I think they're probably, you know, as we've talked about throughout this podcast and other podcasts with the pandemic, you're trying to – the logistics are a little bit more difficult and you're trying to put those, you know, pieces of the puzzle together. And I think they're probably just – they're probably on the last few pieces to put into the puzzle before they're finished. So I think we should see something soon. Justin has a second question. How hot is Kirk's seat if this football season doesn't turn around? I don't think it's very hot at all. Uh, Iowa, I believe, over the last five years has 48 wins. Uh, he's, you know, been here for this is season 22, I believe. Um, and he has plenty of goodwill and has earned the right to fix this thing. It's a very unusual time. He's got to repair the damage that we talked about before with the racial bias and move on from that. And it's, I don't think if you're looking at, you know, say Iowa finishes this season at three and six, four and five ish, maybe goes to a bowl and it's four and six ish or five and five ish, however you want to say it. I think people will be disappointed. I think it puts, a much more pressure on next year when we all hope that things return somewhat to normal in terms of, you know, fans in the stands, spring football, recruiting, everything else. And, and that remains to be seen. We'll see how, how next year looks when we get there. We're all hoping for the best. But I think if, if you have a tough season this year and then a tough season next year, then the, the – seat starts to heat up a little bit 
it's hard to, I mean, Kirk Turks turned 65 this summer. I don't know how long he wants to do this. I think if I'm speculating, which I am allowed to do on this podcast, I would say that he's trying right now to repair his legacy. And right now, still at the forefront of people, people's minds, in addition to this 0-2 start and maybe connected to it as well, are the racial bias claims and findings within his program. He's trying to repair that. He's had three black players transfer already in the last couple weeks. We don't know if that's related, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. And I think knowing Kirk or being around Kirk for all of his 22 years here, I think the legacy is very important to him. I think he wants to repair this. I think he wants to leave this program in a good spot when he wants to decides that it's time to move on. But I think most importantly, I think he wants to leave here with a reputation that his program is fair and equal to the players that are in it. And I think that's probably the most important thing to him. I do not think that his heat, his seat is very hot at all right now. I appreciate the question, Justin. And we move on to Daniel Schneider. Daniel Schneider is at Cosmo Doggy Dog on Twitter. That's Cosmo Doggy Dog at Cosmo Doggy Dog on Twitter. Daniel Schneider asked, there's a lot of talk about Nixon on the D-line. That's Davion Nixon, defensive tackle, who's just had an outstanding start, I believe. He leads the country in tackles for loss per game. It's around two, two and a half, somewhere in there. What about the rest of the D-line? Any disappointments or surprises? I wonder the same thing about the O-line besides Jackson. That's Alaric Jackson starting left tackle for the fourth year in a row, who seems to be playing well. Nickel Eric's had some bumps along the way. He's been pretty solid overall, and I'll start with the offensive line first. Tyler Linderbaum is rock solid in the middle of that line, and I think that will just continue. I think there have been some leaks, you know, some leaky play elsewhere. Obviously, Coy Cronk was pulled last week in favor of Mark Kallenberger after a rough start. This was one of the areas, Daniel, that I was focused on coming into this season with the lack of spring ball, the lack of summer, a normal summer camp, a abbreviated preseason camp to this season. I was zone blocking schemes, any blocking schemes, any offensive line, particularly Iowa that likes to run zone blocking schemes. And I think we saw this last week against Northwestern, very ineffective with consistency in the zone blocking scheme, the inside outside zones that Iowa ran against Northwestern. You saw a disconnect, lack of chemistry, continuity. Those are all things that get built with off season reps. And we haven't seen that consistently. Again, as I said earlier in this podcast, you hope that those things improve as the season goes on and they get some more stability. Cole Banwart at left guard uh, missed a lot of last season or missed most of, if not all of last season with an injury and has been banged up throughout the last few years. So not a lot of surprise there. I think Jackson's been good. I think Tyler Linderbaum's been very good. Kyler Schott's been solid. Just a matter of coming together and maybe the coaches, you know, tweaking things a little bit, maybe doing a little more hat on hat, man blocking, getting out of that zone blocking scheme at times, giving 
the de- defense's different looks, working, running out of the shotgun a little bit more, um, all of those things. I think there are ways to help the offensive line, and, and I'm sure the Iowa coaches are probably working on those. As far as the defensive line, Daniel, Nixon has been really, really good. As I said previously in, in a previous question, I thought Golston was really good this last week. Uh, Van Valkenburg had a good game. I, again, I think Noah Shannon, when he's gotten in there, has been has shown progress from last year. He's only a redshirt sophomore. It looks like he's getting better. Heflin is solid. Guy who absorbs blocks. Wagner um, has been has been decent. He had a sack in week one. He should, you know, he's probably still kicking himself for not getting against Aiton O'Connell. Ran him back into the end zone and, and got kind of juked out a little bit at the end. But I think the defensive line has been pretty solid. Didn't get, I mean, I think Northwestern ran the ball maybe 55, 60 times. I can't remember exactly and only threw it about 18 times. And you can kind of see that wearing the Iowa defensive line down a little bit. But they still – they didn't really give up a, a, any long runs to Northwestern. And I believe the average was about – somewhere between 3.3 and maybe three and a half per rush for Northwestern. So I think they've been pretty good there. The question is going to be pressuring the quarterback, and that's going to be a key this week against Michigan State, who is the worst rushing team per, by average in the Big Ten at 2.3 yards per game. The Spartans have struggled to run the ball, but they're throwing a lot of deep passes, and Rocky Lombardi has been getting time to throw the ball, Michigan State quarterback, Rocky Lombardi, West Des Moines Valley graduate. I believe the statistic is so far this season, the Spartans have hit four passes of 40 yards or more that, you know, for and through two games. Last year, through 12 games, the Spartans had five passes of 40 or more yards. So you can see that the offense is much more explosive uh, White, the freshman receiver, outstanding last week against Michigan. Iowa's given up some big plays, some given up some passing yards. I'm going to have to get to the quarterback this week. I think if you put Iowa's secondary and leave it in coverage too long, that's a recipe that's going to allow the Spartans to score a lot of points. So defensive line is huge this week. And however they decide to do it, they're doing some different things on passing downs, doing the stand-up defensive linemen, moving guys around. Uh, I'm waiting for Joe Evans to maybe take a step forward, the Iowa coaches, to put him in a position to get at the quarterback. Uh, I think he has that ability. So something to keep an eye on this week is how much pressure Iowa can get on Rocky Lombardi. So defensive line, offensive line, Daniel, both still works in progress. And hopefully as the season goes on, they get a little bit more continuity and get the feet under them a little bit more. Uh, Matt Hines at MMH1272 on Twitter asks, is this BF's last year at Iowa? Not unless you know something that I do not know. Um, I think like his father, Brian Ferentz, wants to repair his image. He was somebody who was accused uh, beyond Chris Doyle. He was the most accused by former players of mistreatment in the racial bias investigation. He's spoken to that uh, last month when when we finally got him. Uh, in front of us as uh, at a press conference, uh, apologized, was remorseful, but 
he's still not only that, he's trying to find consistency as an offensive coordinator. And he's not been able to do that through three years. And we haven't seen it through two games this year. Again, extenuating circumstances with what's going on in the country beyond football and, you know, the disjointed offseason. So we'll see what happens there. But I don't sense that he, his father is going to move on from him as offensive coordinator. And I don't sense from Brian that he's looking to move on. So I would say, no, this is not his last year at Iowa. Schaefer wellness at simplified rehab on Twitter. That's at simplified rehab on Twitter. Schaefer wellness asked, it seems Brian perhaps had too much trust in Petrus to start the season. That's first year starting quarterback, Spencer Petrus. If you're unaware is is it a simple case of getting to know your quarterback, your new quarterback better? I think that's fair. And again, I don't want to keep going back and harping on the disjointed, uh, you know, off season where there were practicing and not practicing and having a season and not having a season and no spring ball. All of those things are impacting what we've seen so far on the field. So that has to be into, you know, taken into consideration. That's part, excuse me, of the equation that we're dealing with here. Having said that, Spencer seems a little bit, gets himself a little wound too tight, needs to relax a little bit. And it's interesting because those are some of the things that we talked about with Nate Stanley early on in his career. And Interestingly enough with Nate, as his career went on, he had fewer of those instances, but still had those issues when the the lights got a little brighter and there was more pressure. He would have a tendency to get wound up a little bit too tight and needed to relax. Uh, The game at Penn State in 2018 comes to mind. Uh, Wisconsin at the first half of last year comes to mind. Different instances where, you know, it was a big game. And Spencer just needs to relax. I think he has all the tools. We've seen him make all the throws. He can make all the throws. I didn't think that Brian Ferentz did him any favors against Northwestern in terms of dialing up 50 passes for Spencer. Uh, just That's just too many passes. You don't want to – I don't want to call Spencer a game manager, but I think that's okay this year, and I don't usually – consider that a derogatory term. I think it's good when you're able to manage a game and then make plays within it. Jack Cohn for Wisconsin was a wonderful game manager last year when Wisconsin won the West. Something like that is would be a really welcome performance, I think, from Spencer Petrus. Just to be calm, your teammates will be calm. It helps you stick to your fundamentals when you're making throws and going through your reads and you don't get jumpy and happy feet, all of those things. And I think Brian needs to do a better job of putting Spencer in a position to not have to make a lot of plays, let them come naturally through game flow instead of, you know, the 50 passes were a little bit silly last week Uh, in week one. uh, I thought it was a pretty good game plan and Spencer calmed down after a rough start, played really well through the middle of that game and then got wound tight again on that last drive. But that's what Spencer Petrus, that's the next step for him. 
he's had an opportunity in both of the first two weeks to lead Iowa on a winning drive at the end of the game. And he was wound up a little bit too tight to do that. Not unexpected needs to get some reps needs the coaches to put him in a position to make those plays a little bit easier, lean on the running game a little bit more. You've got a very solid rushing attack. Tyler Goodson, Makai Sargent, Ivory Kelly Martin, all solid, capable running backs. Mix it up a little bit with play calling. Run out of the shotgun. Spread defenses defenses out, excuse me, with four wide and then run the ball off of that. You have good blockers on the perimeter and Brandon Smith, Tyrone Tracy, Nico Regani, Charlie Jones will step in this week for Amir Smith-Marset. All veteran receivers that know how to block on the outside. Do some different things. Give defenses different looks. Make yourself less predictable. And it's we've had this conversation through the years when Iowa struggles. It's easy to say that they're predictable. Need to be less predictable. So hopefully that answers your question, you know, to some degree, Schaefer wealth and wellness. But again, like other questions, I'm just waiting to, to get more of a sample size this season to get more of a handle on the Brian Ferentz, Spencer Petrus relationship. I do think the leash for Spencer Petrus is very long, and I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. Um, I'm not sure that any of the quarterbacks behind him will come in there and do a better job at this stage of their careers. So hang in there with Spencer. I think he's a good quarterback. Let me look and make sure we don't have any more questions here before I sign off. Uh, JP and Iowa City asked this last week, I believe, and I don't know if I got this. Um, So let me go back. This was October 28th, which I believe was last Wednesday, and I don't believe that I got to this question. Uh, this JP I city JP I city three asked last year, one in five rebounds went to either Creener, pencil or till who makes up the difference for rebounds. Creener average four, one pencil, three, two till 0.8 Garza average 9.8 we camp 6.1 Connor Mack four. Again, I, I think with this, this Iowa basketball roster, JP, I think it's, I don't see anybody making a huge leap. I think it's going to be incremental for each guy. I think Frederick can, answer, can, can rebound better and is capable of doing that. I think Joe Toussaint physically is able to do that. I think Connor Mack will go up a little bit. I think Wieskamp will probably be in that similar range, as will Garza, maybe bump those numbers up a little bit. Uh, I think Patrick McCaffrey is a guy that can rebound. I think, you know, if the um, the Murrays play, they're long guys that can rebound. Jack Nungy certainly will help on rebounding. I think it's going to be more of a team thing than to say one guy's just going to jump in there and be a dominant rebounder. I think I will will rebound well as a team. It'll be interesting to me, Jay. JP, to see if Iowa leans on zone defense again like it did last year how they rebound out of that zone. Harder to rebound out of a zone. Iowa's experienced, though, and should have a handle on being able to do that. But rebounding out of zone, that can kind of skew numbers a little bit as well. So good question. Sorry I didn't get to that last week. Uh, Woodshed, Iowa, five, five, uh, nope, I answered that question last week. So we are good here, folks. 
We made it through another mailbag podcast, Hawk Fanatic mailbag podcast for another week. Again, today is November the 4th, 2020. Uh, we're wrapping this up at about 1.30 p.m. Central Time. I thank all of each and every one of you for your questions. I appreciate it. It helps this thing function and work well, and I enjoy uh, hearing from you. So keep them coming, and we will be back next Wednesday with another edition of the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast.